Have charter schools intensified the already high levels of segregation afflicting American public schools? It's a claim that's been advanced by teachers union leaders, by major press outlets, and even of late by candidates for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. But is it true? Has the availability of charter options led families to sort into schools that are more homogenous than those they would have been assigned to? Or by weakening the ties between neighborhood of residence and school assignment, have charters instead fostered greater integration? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Tomas Monares, research associate in the Center on Education Data and Policy at the Urban Institute. Along with Matt Chingos and Brian Casita, Tomas is the author of the new article, Do Charter Schools Increase Segregation, that will appear in the fall 2019 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Tomas, welcome to the Ednext podcast. Hi, Marty. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. Let me uh, dive right in and just say, look, charter schools in the U.S. clearly serve a disproportionate share of Black and Hispanic students. They also clearly make up a disproportionate share of schools whose student bodies are predominantly students of color. I suspect it's those facts that seem to be driving perceptions and allegations that charter schools are having a segregating effect. Why isn't that basic descriptive evidence enough to settle the question? Right. I think there's two issues going going on there. One is how we think of segregation and how it's defined, whether we think that segregation should be defined as, you know, uh, many people of the same race, specifically students of color, attending the same school uh, without a lot of diversity in there. And another way to think about it is think about a community, an entire, say, town or population, and how, given the demographics of that community, how uh, students of different race are distributed uh, among schools. So I think that's one thing that is relevant uh, in that sense. And the other is that it's not, it's not so much, it, while it is also important that charter schools are enrolling predominantly you know, students of color, especially in, in, in dense urban settings. We're also interested in sort of testing the dynamics uh, that that introduces in other types of schools, right? So when a charter school opens in town, it draws its population from somewhere, and that is also going to affect uh, how we think about the racial distribution and the segregation of those uh, communities. So we have to think both about how we're measuring segregation and defining it, but also about uh, not just what charters look like, but what impact charters are having in the broader system in which they're uh, located. Let's focus first on that uh, first issue of measuring segregation. In the article, you and your co-authors distinguish between absolute and relative measures of segregation. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so in absolute measures of segregation, essentially, ask the question, does the average Hispanic or black child in this district attend a school that is majority black or Hispanic? Is those types of uh, questions that these absolute or sometimes called isolation or exposure measures uh, uh, capture? Uh, the other types of measures, the ones that we actually focus a little bit more in the paper, uh, discuss relative segregation that is relative to the composition of my community as a whole, does a school seem to be, quote-unquote, racially balanced, right? And that's just sort of 
inspired by the fact that, say, in a place like Iowa that is predominantly white, we would expect the average minority kid there to be quite exposed to white peers just because of the demographics, and that we wouldn't expect quite the same thing in a place like, say, Los Angeles Unified School District, where it's the other way around, and minorities are the majority, and so it, it would be placing too much of a burden in those districts to say, well, these schools should be, say, I don't know, 50-50, since there's not going to be enough uh, white kids to, to pull from, right? And that also gets into other issues, but I think that's the key difference between those two types of indices and measurement choices. And you argue that if we're going to be making comparisons over time and across different settings, we really need to use one of these relative measures that adjusts to some degree for the demographics of the student population in the system that we are studying. Uh, And you settle on something called the variance ratio index. Can you help our listeners understand just how they should think about this key statistic that you're going to be tracking? Yeah, I mean, I think one intuitive way of thinking about it is if you took the average uh, minority kid in a school district or in a metropolitan area, how you want to define a community, and then you ask, what is their average exposure to kids who are also minorities? And then you grab the average uh, non-minority child, or say white child, in, in the same community, and you ask, what's their exposure to minorities, right? So we think that, that this variance ratio index measures the difference in exposure between, uh, between these two numbers, right? So it's how much more are minorities exposed to themselves than whites are. And I know it's kind of like a tricky concept to sometimes explain, but in a sense, you know, it's, it's, it's intuitive in the sense that it, it tells you how predictive uh, a student's own race is of the race of their peers, right? So in that sense, it sort of captures how we, uh, how we think about segregation. And so that's the statistic that's going to serve as your key outcome as you ask this question, how is the presence of charter schools, the expansion of charter schools, influencing levels of segregation. But uh, we're also going to be uh, not totally dependent on that measure, and we've run a lot of uh, you know, checks to make sure that our results are not only uh, by virtue of the measurement choices that we, well, that we chose to make. If you, if you def- because of the type of uh, modeling that we do, even if you use these absolute measures of segregation or a different uh, relative measure, such as the dissimilarity index, you get the same story. So ultimately, your results aren't going to depend on the choice of the particular measure, uh, but the results do hinge to some degree on how you set up the question itself. So what are the comparisons that you're going to make to try to isolate the causal effect of charter schooling on these measures? Yeah, right. So I think you're pointing out sort of the the key uh, challenge in studying this type of question is that, you know, just because you see a place, say, uh, Washington, D.C. or something, get grow its charter school sector over time, just looking at how segregation changes in a place like Washington is not going to be enough for us to say that, that those dynamics in segregation were caused by charter schools, right? Especially if you start making comparisons between cities that have a lot of charters versus cities that only have one charter school or something like that, or on the other on on the other side of uh, cities that have had historically a lot of you know a lot of political upheaval and resistance to desegregation efforts versus parts of the country that have been a little bit more amicable to it so all of those differences are going to 
potentially influence both the levels of segregation and the the levels of charter penetration in the place. So in a sense, that is bad variation. Those are other explainers that we're trying to to clean from from our econometric model as we try to focus on this causal effect. And sort of the trade-off being that we, we can't say that this will apply to every single place uh, uh, that our estimates will apply to every single place where charters open, but we're very interested in trying to isolate this causal effect. And the way that we did that was by breaking down school enrollment by grade level and also by race, of course, and we computed uh, segregation at each grade level within each community. Um, and then we asked, well, if, say, in Washington, D.C., if charter schools in ninth grade grew a lot in terms of enrollment, but they didn't grow so much over the last few years in third grade, did we see a sort of bigger change in segregation, say increase, and that's what we're finding, a bigger increase in segregation in ninth grade than in third grade? And if we see that, then we would say, okay, that was probably due to the charter schools because these places are located uh, in the same city, and they're administered by the same school district. There's the same, almost the same types of assignment policies going on. So it's, it tries to control for as many things as possible and tries to sort of, um, this method tries to, um, you know, rule out as many confounding stories as possible. All right, so we've now spent a good bit of time setting up the analysis itself, making sure that listeners understand it. Let's turn to the findings. Uh, if you had to summarize the findings very briefly, uh, what is most important for us to know based on your study? So I think the punchline of this paper is definitely that charter schools have led to an increase in racial segregation of school districts. However, this effect has not been very big in terms of, you know, comparing it to sort of the alarmist uh, type of uh, media coverage that we've seen in the past that charters may be leading the resegregation of American schools uh, in some in, in this large way, that does not seem to be the case. While we do see that places that have growing charter enrollment are getting slightly more segregated, we we still, and this is going to be coming from, from later work as well, we, we see that most of the segregation will probably still be there with charter schools not be there. About 95% of the segregation of a school district would be there if the charter school uh, sector were to disappear, at least on in the average case in the United States. And so those are the results when you're talking about segregation at the level of the school district. So comparing each individual public school within a geographic school district to the racial composition of the uh, district as a whole. You also conduct this same analysis with the level of the system defined more broadly, right? At the level of the county or the city or the town or even the entire metropolitan area. How do the results compare across those different definitions of the community? Uh, of the community? Right. So I think, yeah, that you're definitely getting to a point that I, I feel like I, I was getting a little bit nervous about at the beginning when I, and that's why I was using the term communities a lot, right? So the complicated thing about studying school segregation is that you need to sort of define a set of schools that are to be segregated or integrated. It's not a single school, it's a group of schools. And, you know, historically school districts have been the ones that have, uh, you know, they govern student assignment, student assignment policy and they were 
the focus during the court desegregation era, so that's why we focused there. However, we also know that there has been a lot of, you know, since the 70s and um, some decades ago, uh, flight of, of folks uh, that have uh, that are wealthier and that tend to be uh, wider going to live in suburban school districts, right? And so in some sense, uh, taking away the ability of urban districts to even integrate the, the few white students that are, that, are still, that are still there. So what, taking that into account, we ran the exact same analysis, but sort of, you know, being a little bit more agnostic about what is a community. And so we looked at school districts and we saw that that led to increases, charges led to increases in segregation, also at counties, also for cities and towns, uh, uh, and I know that the definitions here start getting a little blurry. But then when we looked at metro areas, which you know are sort of in a way the largest way to define an, uh, an urban area in the U.S., that we saw very little indication that charters are leading to more segregation at that level. And while the technicalities of it start getting a little bit uh, complicated and it's hard to interpret these things, we did detect that. In metro areas that have a lot of charter schools, we're seeing some decreases in the segregation between school districts. That is, so it seems that, and we're still exploring this finding. This is still a little bit preliminary, but it seems that central urban school districts in metro areas are pulling families, white families, from suburban school districts back into urban districts. And so I think that that sort of countering effect from charter schools is very interesting. It sort of mimics a lot of the history that we've seen in American public education with regard to segregation, specifically the case of magnet schools. Um, so these are things we're still exploring, but it's definitely something to consider that the charter school movement is also leading to white families coming back to urban school districts while these urban school districts are not themselves being more integrated by this, right? And sorry, I don't know if I digress. <laughs> no, that's a, it's a very helpful explanation. I think what I really like about the analysis is how you uh, provide the results at these different levels of aggregation, these different definitions of community. If you were to show the results for school districts only, I would suggest that maybe you'd fall in prey to what you might call the Milliken fallacy, referring to the Supreme Court's famous Milliken v. Bradley decision where they limited desegregation remedies to the level of a specific school district uh, without really acknowledging that district lines themselves are policy choices. Um, and uh, when you look at it metro-wide, uh, first of all, you see that the base level of segregation is much higher when it's measured at the entire metro area level because there's so much segregation between school districts. And then you get this really intriguing set of findings uh, with respect to the impact of charters on those levels of segregation that despite the fact that they do seem to have this mild segregating effect within districts, that this appears to be at least partially offset by uh, the integrating effect that you just described across district lines. Uh, you all in the article compare the role charters are playing currently to that that historically was played by magnet schools. And uh, that was very much the theory of action with respect to magnet schools, trying to attract uh, families that had left urban centers 
back into center city school districts. And maybe that's a bit of what's going on here. Yes, I think so too. And, you know, the implications of this are are pretty complex because, one, you know, we're not seeing that these urban school districts are, you know, that the sort of the opposite of white flight into these urban school districts is leading to more integration of the of those school district schools. We we're not really finding evidence of that. However, you know, one needs to start thinking about you know, we can't detect whether these moves are residential or not. Uh, but, you know, when we motivate the reason that we we think that school integration is something that should happen in American public education is, one, is that sort of, you know, there's this literature on peer effect and that having peers that are high achieving and things helps helps other students uh sort of improve improve their own outcomes. But then at the same time, if we're seeing sort of more stakeholders in these urban school districts and, you know, residential choice into these urban, urban school districts, this could potentially also lead to increases in school funding and other positive things that are not directly related to sort of interaction within a single school. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty exciting area of research uh, to try to be uh, disentangling the effects of this movement. Now, there is one other aspect of this study that I wanted to ask you about, and that's that in addition to reporting estimates for the nation as a whole concerning the effects of charters, you also break out the results uh, by state. And you actually see quite a bit of variation from one state to the next. A decent number of states where charters seem to be having very clearly no substantial effect on segregation. And somewhere at least at the district level, they're having a more substantial effect in increasing segregation. Do you have any sense as to what explains that pattern of variation from one state to the next? Nothing specific. I mean, all we know is that uh, states are the ones that sort of uh, write charter law, and they are the ones that, you know, delineate the way that charters are to operate in these in these places. Uh, by looking at, at this state-level effects, one thing that we were searching for, since we found such a small effect, we, we thought that maybe we're finding that in some states, uh, charters were leading to more integrated schools and in others more segregated schools. And so when you averaged it, then you'd get a, something that was kind of positive but near zero. And when we actually ran this, it looks more like most most states are seeing either zero no more segregation or more segregation because of charter schools. We, we couldn't detect any states where, where schools were being integrated because of charter schools, which I think also tells the story. But we need to uh, explore more what is driving these differences, especially in places like uh, Louisiana and uh, North Carolina, where the increase in segregation that can be attributed to charter schools seems to be pretty severe. So on one hand, I think it's fair to say your study's findings suggest that it's misleading to blame charter schools for increases in the very high levels of segregation many American students experience. On the other hand, your study results also, as you just suggested, show that charters have not had the integrating effect that some proponents uh, hoped would be the case, that... Um, that expanding choice would necessarily lead to higher levels of integration. Um, 
which of those two takeaways is for you the most important interpretation coming out of the study? I think both are really important, Marty, because um, while, you know, it's important to sort of debunk this myth that the only reason that schools are segregated is because they're linked to neighbor uh, to segregated neighborhoods, I feel like this this evidence that we have presented, while it doesn't completely destroy that theory, it does certainly not support it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, just, uh, you know, when individuals are given the opportunity to sort of step away from sometimes problematic traditional public schools that have been historically underfunded, and um, in my opinion, funding those schools well needs to be part of the solution here. Uh, but, you know, when people try to find alternatives to that, those alternatives, perhaps this evidence shows that they're not going to completely, you know, bring us back to the 1950s era of segregation where there was like a stark, stark inequality between the races in terms of quality of education. These are not the things that are going on. So I think those are the two main conclusions here. One, uh, choice, at least this type of choice, does not seem to lead to integration. But two, the segregation that we see today is not totally, completely attributable to this new movement. Is is due to the very long history of the United States with this uh, difficult issue of racial segregation. My guest today has been Tomas Monares, research associate at the Urban Institute and co-author of Do Charter Schools Increase Segregation, available now at educationnext.org. Tomas, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you so much, Marty. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.